Well, as you can see, you can see our pastor is back with us. And, you know, we, you made a quality choice to come out to church tonight. Because that's, that's, you know, we are putting yourself in a position where God can speak through the pastor, God can speak through each of us. But, you know, that's not, that, that is a good step, but the way you want, if you want to draw near to God, you draw near with your heart. And then he draws near to you. But you've got to break down the walls of, of your heart. You've got to let the word penetrate. So I'm just going to encourage you to do that, that as the pastor brings the word, you're expecting the Lord to speak to you, something that you need to hear, but open your heart. Can we do that? Well, good evening. It's good to be with you again. Isn't Jesus so wonderful? How many of you think Jesus had a sense of humor? How many of you think Jesus wrote the King James Version? Okay, see, we're getting started out right, right, right out of the gate. I saw something tonight in the King James Version that I didn't, don't know that I've seen before, and it struck me funny. And uh, I know that God has a sense of humor, so I'll share, I'll share what I said. Did you, see, did you know? Because, see, I read a verse further than what, what Josh was reading to us. You know, there's always danger in going further than the Scriptures they give you, right? Because you'll get ahead of them. Well, in this case, uh, I read a verse in the King James. Did you know that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was a smoker? It says she lighted off her camel. That's what it said. It's good to be home, folks. Are you expecting good things? Did you know that God loves you more than we can comprehend? That's what the Scripture tells us. And yet, it's also scriptural for you and I to pray and say, Lord, help me to comprehend the length, the width, the depth, the height. Right? And even with that, it's a, even with God helping you to comprehend that, He can still do more than all of that, than what you can think and comprehend. So, that's a pretty amazing reality if you, if you can begin to touch it with your mind. Grasp it with your mind and believe it and receive it. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, God loves you. I love you. Because God is in me. And God is in you. And if you're here with us and you have not ever made Jesus the Lord of your life and God is not in you, then please talk to your neighbor or come see me after the service and we will help you arrive to that place because it's possible. All right, we're going to begin our, our sermon with some review and getting into, we've been in a series called Expect Miracles and did you know that the word expect is it's another way to describe being in faith? When you expect something, you're believing that it will happen. And so expect miracles. Well, what gives us the right to expect miracles? There's only one thing that gives us that right, and it's the Word of God. And when God gives you a word, a rhema word, then you can absolutely believe and act upon it and receive miracles in your life. Last week we talked, about, or not last week, the last time we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about thinking like God. Thinking like God. And with God, all things are possible. And that was one of the scriptures that, that we looked at. So I have three pages of review, but fear not. 
How many times in the Bible, right, when something good was about to happen, they would have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So even though I have three pages of review notes, don't be afraid. It's not going to take long. All right? So go, go in your Bible with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. And in, in Mark 10, 27. Now, the context here is the, par- is the story of the uh, rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he wanted to know, how do I be saved? And so they had this whole conversation, this exchange of how this happens. And, and he went away very sad because Jesus had told him to sell everything that he had, give it to the poor, and come follow Jesus. And it says he had great possessions. So he goes away real sad. He's bummed out. And then Jesus begins to have this conversation with the disciples about this. And he tells them that it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he explains why. And in one of the Gospels, it states that it's because it's a, it, if they're trusting in wealth. Because, you know, when you have a lot of financial means, it's very, very easy to move into trusting in that wealth rather than being reliant on God as your source. Now, when you are believing God for your next mouthful of food, right, you're completely reliant, that is, it's easier It's easier to be in faith for finances when you don't have enough. But you know what's more difficult when there's lack in your life is not to be greedy. Not to be money-minded. Not to have a love of money. That's more difficult when you have a lack of money than it is when you've got more than enough. That's that's what I found in my life. Maybe for you it's different, but I I think uh, if you'll, you'll study it out, you'll see that that is the case. Well, here, this rich young ruler, he had gone away sorrowful. Jesus makes a statement. And then he says that line about it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, there's two different schools of thought about what that eye of the needle actually was. Some people think it's like a sewing needle. And we know that that's an impossibility for a camel to go through that unless you take it apart and atom by atom stuff it through there, but you're not going to reassemble the camel, right? It's not going to be of any value after it went through the eye of the needle. The other school of thought is that there was a gate that if, if you arrived at a city late, they wouldn't open the main gate. You had to come in this little side gate, and a camel with all of its baggage on it couldn't come in that gate. They had to take all the bags off, and it was a man-sized gate, and get the camel down on its knees and get him through the gate that way. And so not only um, did the camel have to get on its knees, it had to shed everything it had. And then you'd carry it through the gate, move the camel through, and then load it back up and, and go on your way. Either way, it's a difficult process. All right? I don't know which one he, he exactly meant, but we know that Peter then, I think it was Peter, turns to him and says, well then who can be saved? And he included themselves in that rich bunch. Interesting, isn't it? Then who can be saved? And this is what actually in verse 20, uh, let's see, in Mark 10 and verse 23, I think is where, yes, in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, notice that he says he looked around, that he looked around. So he's not looking at just one place, he's looking around. Looking, at the, looking all around is what some translations say. Looking all around. Now, contrast that with go down to verse 27 after they had asked this question, then who can be saved? Verse 27, it says, looking at them. 
Jesus now is saying something directly to them. And in some translations say it this way, looking intently at them. He's no longer looking around at everyone, but He is giving them a rhema word. Right here, right now. And He is making sure... I mean, isn't it weird that it just mentions in here that He's looking intently at them? What's the reason? Why is He suddenly time out from everything and he is, He's really intently staring at them? Because he, what He has to give to them is deep. And it's important that they get it. Because it's probably... You know, whenever Jesus says... Um, verily, verily, I say to you, or, or he, he's bolstering what he's about to say, truly I say to you, because it's difficult to believe. And so he is impressing upon them what, what's coming next. So looking at them, <clears throat> the strong says that that word means to observe fixedly. Notice that the difference between where he's fixed his gaze here versus in verse 23 where he's just looking around. So he's looking intently at them, and what does he say? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. With man, it is impossible. But not with God, because all things are possible with God. Look at your neighbor and say, did you know? All things are possible with God. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God said, I am God and I do not change. And so if he would do that back then, if he would look at his disciples intently and say, all things are possible, then he would look at you, Mike, right? And say, all things are possible for you, Mike. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, is he a good God? Yes, he is a good God. In fact, in Psalms 145, it tells us he is good to all. And his compassion is on all he has made. He is good to all. So if He's not changing, then everything's still possible and He's good. He is good. End of story. But did you know, we looked at and we talked about that there's a, you can limit God. It's possible to limit what He can do for you. You say, well, what do you mean? I thought God could do everything. But notice He doesn't override people's free will. Alright? So, how did they? It says in, in Psalm 78, the children of Israel, that they often provoked Him, they grieved Him, and it says they tempted God and that they limited the Holy One of Israel. Limited Him. And then it explains how they limited Him. How that came about. It says because they did not remember His power the day that He redeemed them from the enemy. They did not remember His power. What is one of the methods, one of the things that we do to remember the power of God. We tell it, right? And then we had people come up and we shared testimonies. Testimony after testimony after testimony. You saw the long line up here. And that was just, just a fraction of a percentage of the testimonies we could have shared that night. In fact, here in a little bit, we will, uh, we'll take a few more testimonies. So if you have one, um, we'll take several of them. And uh, just be, be holding on to those and, and we'll bring you up in just a moment. But Psalms 105 verses 1 and 2 say this, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Proclaim His deeds among the peoples. So if we proclaim His deeds, how do you proclaim His deeds among the people? You know, you were called to be a witness of what God has done for you. That's what the good news is. You be a witness to what God has done for you and in your life 
And so that's you, you proclaiming what God has done for you. His deeds among the peoples. It says sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell about all His wondrous works. So if we were going to tell about all His wondrous works tonight, we'd be here until tomorrow night, right? And then the next night. And it, we'd be a long time. But tell about all His wondrous works. So what if you've told it before? <laughs> tell it again. Tell it again. That's right. Tell it again. It doesn't matter if they heard it before. You know, when you come up and you share testimony, you don't, you don't have to preface it with, well, you probably heard this before. Yeah, we probably have. So what? Tell us again. I mean, how would you like to be a preacher and just have a certain set number of, of your own stories that you can tell and retell and retell? You know, the third or fourth or one hundredth time that you tell it, it's no less powerful. It's maybe less powerful than you because you've started losing a grip of it. What did, what did Jen say right before she sat down? She said, you know, our heart makes a difference. You know, there were people in Jesus' sermons. Jesus was one of the most anointed teachers and preachers that ever lived, right? If not the most. I mean, because he had the Spirit of God on him and without measure. And yet, there was people that were side by side in his sermons and they would go away, one touched and changed forever and the other one disgusted and criticizing him. And the difference was their heart. The difference was their heart. Now, you can make a big difference in the speaker. You know, if everyone shows up here and everyone has a critical attitude, and, huh, what's God going to do through this one? Do you think God's going to do something? Do you think you're going to go away learning anything? No. Why would He tell you? Because you don't want to learn. But if you show up and go, you know, I'm looking to the Lord to teach me. And you know what? I could, I could just be up here and fumble around and stumble around and you would go away just completely changed because God is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. I'm not the teacher. I'm just a mouthpiece. Sometimes even with bad jokes. Alright, who has testimonies? I know that um, Troy has one to share with us, and so I've asked him to come share that. While he's sharing it, if uh, two or three others want to come line up here and wait up front, and then uh, we'll give you opportunity as well. Come, Troy. So, is it on? Good. doesn't sound like it's on when I'm up here. Um, several years ago, and this is only one testimony of many, but several years ago I was... Uh, and I'm not going to give all of them. Um, uh, there was a, a young lady who came, was brought to us. This little girl had had a surgery where she had a mass that was growing over her face, um, removed by one of our medical teams with Ghana Initiative. And uh, the young girl, once this was done, really her life was saved because of that, because she couldn't breathe. She wasn't going to be able to see. She, she, her, it was getting into her brain. It, it, there was a mess going on there. Uh, so her life was saved in that, in that event. However, um, though that was God who did the healing, ultimately it wasn't the biggest healing that we saw with that young lady. When she was two years old then, she was brought to our team. This was the following year. And uh, she was brought on, on her father's arms. So her father had his arms out like this. And her arms were just back. Her head was back. Her legs were down. And she was unresponsive. The doctors came up to do their thing because they brought her to the clinic. And they opened her eyes and shined the light in. And there was nothing that took place. And as many of you might think and know, she was not with us any longer. 
she had died. And um, the doctors were all up in arms as to what to do. They needed to get an ambulance. Well, in Africa, you don't get an ambulance immediately. It can take five, six, seven hours before an ambulance gets there. And they were going all, going, all going crazy as to what to do. And I'm standing there watching all this take place. And I said, well, we need to pray for her. But nobody heard because they were more worried about what they needed to do for her as human beings than what God could do for her at the time. So I got down on my knees in front of the father. I laid my hands on the child, and I began to pray. And it was a simple prayer. It says, I said, God, I know you can do this, and you can do this now. This child needs you. She has no other choice but to rely, us to rely on you for her life now. Bring her back to us. And within seconds, her head popped up. She looks at all of us. She looks at her mommy and immediately asks for food. And literally within two minutes, she was up and playing and eating and back to life. Now, our doctors, as you can imagine, weren't completely convinced. So they said, we still need to send her to the hospital. We still got to get her there and check her out and make sure that everything's okay. I said, I know you saw she's healed, but you do whatever you like. So they did. So she went to the hospital with her father and her mother. And when she got back from the hospital, the little girl was there, still ready to play. The parents came up and we said, so what took place? And the father said, the doctor said, why did you bring her to us? She's perfect. I said, I already told you that. We knew that. So the Lord is working miracles in our lives today. The Lord is always working miracles in our life. And actually, I do have another miracle that just took place last week, if you don't mind. Yes. I came up and I asked Karen if she would pray for me at the end of the service. I had, had pain in my foot where I could hardly walk. It was really, really painful for days. And I came up and I said, Karen, could you please pray for me? I need my foot to be back to normal. I don't want this pain any longer. So Karen prayed over me. Now, I'm not saying that the healing came like that. But when I woke up in the morning after having said, thank you, Lord, for this healing. Thank you, Lord, for this healing. Thank you, Lord, for this healing. All night long, it was healed. So thank you, Lord, for healing my foot. Thank you. Yeah. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I hurt my back at work and um, to the point where I couldn't even put my pants and my socks on. And that night we had a, the two Saturdays ago, I came up for prayer. So I got anointed with oil, went back home, was still a little stiff. And later that Tuesday at home group, we, I got prayed over again. And ever since my back hasn't hurt, nothing has been going on. So yeah, that's just a miracle in my life. Um, I have two ones. Um, so about two years ago, a little over two years ago, um, Shane and I were really struggling in our marriage and there was a point where, um, there's a lot of dynamics going on on both of our ends. Um, but there was a point where I was just, I mean, I was ready to be done. I was just like, just give me the last reason of why I can walk away from this and be justified. And Shane had asked me, he was like, would you please just meet with somebody. Just meet with Pastor Sid and Jen. Please, can we just meet? And so we had agreed to, and we did. Um, and I remember sitting with them, and they just kind of were chuckling. They just Pastor Sid started to chuckle. And 
in a kind of, he was laughing, but then he started weeping and he was like, you just don't see it. You just, you just don't see it, how good God is and what he has for you guys. And honestly, I was really angry because I was like, this is not a joke. You know, I just feel like my life is ending. And, um, and then we had met with some other people and, and, um, God really did a work in our lives. Um, our marriage has been amazing and restored. God did amazing things with us. But really, he um, got a hold of me, and he got a hold of Shane. And it was individual that those things happened, and then it addressed our marriage, and, and we came together in that way. So, yeah, just still praise God for that. So. Hello, everybody. It's been a hot minute since I've been here. Um, so I, almost four weeks ago, gave birth to a child. Um, we, the whole time, were praying to have a VBAC because the first pregnancy was an emergency C-section. And the whole pregnancy, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not even going to look into C-sections. I don't want to know anything about them. I'm going to have a VBAC, and it's going to be totally fine. And the Monday before I had her, I went in, I had all these problems, things were going on, it was going to look like a C-section. Well, the next day at 7.15 a.m., I gave birth to a nine-pound baby via VBAC. So, thank God for that. How many know that the Lord wants to set you free from anything, right? He wants you free. Um, 16 years ago, I was dealing with, actually longer than that, but 16 years ago is when I got set free, but I was dealing with fear in my life. Actually, for a big part of my life, I dealt with fear in my life. Um, I don't anymore, by the way. Uh, amen. But uh, 16 years ago, um, a little bit, a couple more months than 16 years, I guess, I guess it was, it was in the summer. Uh, we had a service at church, and I lived up on the other side of the state, didn't go to CWI or anything that, because they didn't have that time up there. And uh, the the service was was a weekend service, and I was I, they were talking about fear and the last part of the service. I didn't know what a spirit of fear was or any of that stuff back then, um, but I they put up a prayer on, on the wall, and I never forget this the rest of my life. They put up a prayer on the wall. Uh, one of those PowerPoint things, you know, where, what, what, what do they call those back in the old days? Projector things, you know, old, never, you can't even see them. The kids never even know what they are. Uh, but they put one of those up with the words on it. And I was reading through the prayer as they were talking about, you know, what we're going to do. And I'm like, Lord, when I pray this prayer, after I read it one, you know, in, internally, I'm like, when I pray this prayer, I really mean it. I didn't even know I was, you know, what I was dealing with, with fear wise. But I was serious with the Lord. And God's looking for people who are serious with Him. That's for somebody tonight. And so I prayed that prayer on the last word, not exaggerating, zero. On the last word that I pray, I physically, not spiritually, you know how you Christianese stuff, you'd say like, oh, I, you know, I felt something, right? Well, I physically felt something lift up off of me that would be the weight of maybe half of the chair that Debbie's sitting on, right? Half the chair. It was heavy. And it, I physically felt it come off my body. And all of a sudden, I knew I was set free from the oppression of uh, uh, fear in my life. 
And the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, Kevin, I want you to go pray. Uh, sorry, I want you to go over to your pastor, which was over yonder, and I want you to uh, have him pray for you because that spirit of fear caused physical harm in your body. I was like, at this point, I'm like, anything, Lord, because I felt amazing already. And so, <laughs> like, I literally stopped what I was doing at that prayer. I, I walked right over to the, the pastor who was talking to somebody else, even though they were doing, you know, finishing up the prayer stuff. And, and I got about from me to Jen away to the pastor. And I was like, at that point, I was really bold. I'm like, pastor, because <laughs> I was excited. He swiveled around like on a dime, like did a, almost a breakdance move, you know, like, I mean, I can't even do it. Uh, crazy. And he, uh, it was, it was, it was funny. Other people saw it too. And he's like, I already know. And he goes like this. He's like, in the name of Jesus. And I dropped like rocks. He didn't touch me. Nobody was around me. Um, and I even know how long I was on the ground for. People later said like, they weren't even looking at the situation. They physically felt the power of God that happened, that went, that went out at that moment. And I got up later. And the first thing I can think of, I was like, I want some pizza. I hadn't had pizza for five years. I had dealt with allergies and all sorts of, sorts of stuff because of, um, because of the, the effects of that fear in my life. And my whole life changed that day forward in a lot of different ways, in great ways and some other things, learning ways along the way. But uh, my whole life got changed in that one moment. God wants to change every one of us in that way. He wants to set us completely free of anything that's uh, affecting us in our lives. Um, all we have to do is be really serious with him and say, Lord, guess what? I'm serious about this and do what he's telling you to do. He'll, he'll lead you. Okay. Amen. Amen. So when I was really little, I was um, diagnosed with allergies and asthma, and so I've struggled with that for a, a while. And I always took like a whole bunch of medicines, and it kind of got less and less as I got older. But um, I was believing for healing from that, and um, there would be times where I was like, "Well, like I'm healed, so I'm going to stop taking this medicine." But then, like after a couple days, I would um, get a cold or get sick or whatever. Um, but then. Um, at the end of January of this year, I just one morning, I just all of a sudden just felt this faith rise up. I was like, you know what? I believe I'm here, healed. And if I really believed I was healed, I wouldn't take this medicine because I wouldn't take medicine for something that I don't have. And um, so then the next morning I stopped and um, I haven't taken any medicine since and I'm healed. So I recently had gallbladder surgery, and it all went well, thank God. But while I was in the hospital, they had to draw some labs and in my left arm, and a nurse accidentally hit a nerve. And I got home, and it was just hurting and aching. I could hardly hold my baby. So I started praying and believing it didn't get healed right away, but little by little. And then tonight I came to church, and I stretched out my arm, and I'm like, it's gone. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Um, so many of you know my mom's story about when she was in the hospital with COVID, um, and I figured I'd share a little piece of my experience with that. Um, but one day, it was a Tuesday, I was praying in my living room in the spirit, and um, these massive white wings descended, and I could see my mom's hospital bed, and they covered her hospital bed. And then there were 
angels all in her hospital room, and they just faced her bed. And I heard the verse in Psalms 34, 7, where it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who... And that night, um, well, throughout that day, I just kept believing, and I just knew, like, she was going to be fine. I just knew it. My prayers changed, um, and I just, I had such peace. That night, my dad called me at, like, 8, 8.30, and he said, your mom's off the ventilator. Um, she, they're going to move her out of ICU. She's breathing on her own, and um, you can talk to her tomorrow at noon. So. <laughs> So before the service, I was praying, and I was asking the Lord if there's anything in particular that He wants to, uh, wants to do, and a face came up in front of me, and uh, the Lord said, tell her, so Katie, are you listening? Because this was you. Tell her to stay anchored in the rock, and He will lift you up. So I don't know exactly what that has to do with. Uh, maybe you're believing for something, but does that does that register with? All right, I thought I would just deliver that privately to you after the service, but once I saw you come up, I'm like, nope, <laughs> she's had right here. <laughs> so praise the Lord. Stay anchored in the rock, and that's true for all of us, and He will lift you up. So all right, so but by a show of hands, and don't just just lift your hand to lift your hand. Actually. Be honest with yourself. As different people were sharing testimonies, how many of you, by them sharing their experience or a story, you were reminded of a testimony that you had? That it, it reminded you of a testimony you had. And look around now. Look at all the hands up. That's what sharing your testimony does. It stirs in others what God has done for them, and it encourages them. And the next thing you know, well, I got to share that with someone. You know, and then it's like, it's contagious. A lot more contagious than like coronavirus. But just in the best of ways. I mean, six foot of distance isn't going to stop that one. You have to get completely out of earshot. Yeah, that's right. All right, open your Bible again with me, with me to uh, Mark chapter 2. And listen, I want to encourage you in something. Um, I was having a conversation the other day with someone, and I was kidding them about not bringing their Bible to church. But I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you to church, whether even if it's your, your notepad, if you read it on your phone, your electronic version, whatever. Um, but the Bible that you like to read, bring it with you and turn with us. Don't just rely on the screen up there behind us. And the reason I say that. There's a reason behind it. It's not just to give you something extra to carry. Because I know a lot of you, although you women anymore, you have such big purses that you could carry five Bibles in there. So, so that's all right. But the reason is, is so that you see it on the page you're used to reading. You know where it's at. You know, there's so many places in my Bible. I'm, I'm using a new Bible. I mean, I've had it now for several months. But you know, in my old Bible, I know where that verse is. I don't know the exact reference. It's somewhere in John. And if I flip through the pages, I'll see it over here near the bottom on the right-hand side. See? Because I've seen it several times in my, in my Bible. And I know how it's laid out. And so it helps me to remember it and remember its place when it comes up for me later and I need to go back and find that promise. So this is why I encourage you to bring your Bible and go along that way later when it comes up again, that you, you're familiar with where it was. 
Now, if you're really good at, at remembering references, then that's great, all right? You just remember the reference and you can pick up any Bible. And uh, I've, since I've got a new Bible, I've been telling myself, okay, I need to do a better job at remembering references. Because, uh, yeah, in a new Bible, suddenly it's like, it takes longer finding things when you don't know the exact reference. All right, Mark chapter 2. That was all extra. You know, when you go through McDonald's and they say you want fries with that, well, sometimes these are like extra little little bits of wisdom that you get with that. Mark chapter 2, and this is, remember the story of the, the friends of this paralyzed guy that they bring him on his stretcher and they tear a hole in the roof of this house, this building, and they let him down in there in front of Jesus because they wanted him to be healed, all right? So the interesting thing about this is, if you'll look in verse 5, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now here's what's fascinating. The paralyzed guy wasn't the one that was in faith there. Well, maybe he was, but it was actually his friend's faith that's bringing, getting him through. Seeing their faith. They're the ones who carried him in faith. They're the ones who risked friendships and lawsuits and all kinds of things by tearing holes in roofs of buildings, right? And they're the ones who in faith did this because they were like, man, if we can just get this guy to Jesus, something's going to happen. He's going to be healed. And so seeing their faith, Jesus responds to it. Did you know that your faith can make a difference for someone else? There's, see, there's many different ways to receive a miracle. You can receive a miracle because you're in faith for it. You can receive a miracle because someone else was in faith for it. There's people that receive miracles that have no idea even they just experienced a miracle and they weren't in faith for it. We'll read about it later today, t- tonight. So here, he sees their faith and he says, sons, your sins are forgiven. Well, were they in faith for his sins to be forgiven? Is that why they brought a paralyzed guy and laid him down in front of Jesus so he could have his sins forgiven? No. Well, then why would Jesus start with sins? See, his friend's faith is what got him to Jesus. But there was still something that could hinder him from receiving. And Jesus just just addresses it right there. Your sins are forgiven. Condemnation, man, will just short-circuit your faith so many times. That's why it's important to draw near to God. Knowing that when you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. It's why it's so important to absolutely have full confidence in the blood of Jesus. That it is more powerful than any sin you've ever committed, anything you've ever done, any mistake you've ever made. That it washes away, it removes all sin. And that when you're clean, you're clean. You are as He says you are. In fact, in John, it says that we are as He is in the world. Well, how is He? Perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly cleansed. The anointed Son of God is how He is, seated at His right hand. And so you and I are as He is in this world. And if we'll take a hold of that, then condemnation will not stand between us and receiving our miracle. Don't give the devil... A, a foothold in your life with condemnation. If you've done something wrong, and if conviction comes to you, remember, conviction will pull you to the Lord. It pulls on you to come. Condemnation pushes you and separates you. It says, no, you're not good enough. No, He wouldn't forgive you. No, you've done it too many times. No, you said that last time. You can't be serious. See, it's separating you from God. 
And that's what makes it real easy to identify what's condemnation and what's conviction. Is it pulling me to the Lord or is it separating me? Now, becoming aware of your sin reveals the distance between you and Him at the moment. That's not condemnation. That's just revealing where you're at. But now conviction will say, let's correct that. Come. Are you seeing the difference? So he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's read verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? <laughs> which, which is easier? It's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can see the sins. They don't know if they left or not. But to say, get up and walk, everyone's going to see that right away. Whether it worked. <laughs> right? So, right away uh, in in uh, verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Um, fix the roof on the way. <laughs> he didn't say that. Immediately he got up, took the mat, went out in front of everyone. Changed that man's life. Changed his family's life. Changed the lives of people around him. Because they no longer had to support him. He's able to support himself. Go out and work and provide and all these things. Because of someone else's faith for him. Someone else's faith for him. But I didn't, re- I didn't finish reading the verse on purpose. As a result. Everyone say, as a result. As a result, as a result they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Tonight, I want to, let's, let's look at and examine, we could say the purpose of miracles, uh, but more precisely, I want to look at miracles that lead to salvation. Miracles that lead to glorifying God. See, you can experience a miracle. I've experienced miracles in my life that nobody else was around to even notice or tell at the moment. You know, later I can tell. Yet, a lot of times when we look at these great miracles, there was a greater purpose than just the one who received the, the miracle. That was part of it because God wants to bless you. He wants to, to have you be in a good place, healed, whole, delivered. Yet, there's greater things that come with it. And he said, here it gives us the result. They were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we've never seen something like this. Let's go over to John chapter 2. Now, we could go through the Gospels and and just look at story after story after story, but I decided to just pick a book. And we're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at a number of them. And just take a walk through the book of John and look at some places where, what was the effect? What was the result of the miracle? And how that these miracles would lead to salvation. They would lead to uh, the Lord being glorified. So, here in John chapter 2, I'll just begin in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told Him, they don't have any wine. 
What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Basically, he's saying, what's this got to do with you and me? Why is this our concern? Right? They're at someone else's wedding. It's not our wedding. We're not the wine providers. What's this got to do with us? And what does she say? She turns to... She turns to the servants there and she says, do whatever he tells you. And this is, we'll, we'll probably do maybe another whole sermon pretty much centered around this, this key of do whatever he tells you. Because that is the, a, the key to miracles. Doing what he tells you. So she tells the servants, hey, you guys, because she's in faith for something here. So you guys, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Okay? Alright, so now six stone jars... Water jars had been set there for the Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. So apparently, a little bit later, Jesus gets a message from the Father. Ding! You have mail. Is what, Lord? Because see, he said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father tell me to do. So he, and, and just prior to this, he's like, this is, what's this got to do with us? And now all of a sudden, he gets from the Father, oh, I am supposed to do something about this. And so he tells these servants who were already instructed, do whatever he tells you, he tells these servants, hey, fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, He did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, this is interesting because the servants know a miracle just took place. They they watched water go in and suddenly pour it into the cup. It's wine. The head waiter, the headmaster of the feast here, he has no idea. Everyone else at the feast doesn't know. They don't know that a miracle just happened in the house. Water into wine. A story that's going to be told for the rest of time and the rest of eternity. Water into wine. And they're in the room. They're not even aware of it. So he calls the groom and told him, everyone sets out the the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. See, this whole passage is just amazing because it will just blow so many theology theological ideas about drinking and, and enablement and, and you name it. I mean, Jesus supplied alcohol to drunk people. <laughs> Go figure it out. Now, Scripture tells us don't be drunk, so don't, all right? Don't be drunk. But He supplied wine to the people that already had had too much. Here's more. And He made it good. Yeah. <laughs> and He made it good. Oh my. Verse 11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It does not tell us that everyone else at the feast ever figured out what happened. The disciples knew. And the purpose of this whole thing was now they believe. It wasn't, you know, he... he, provided drink at a party, and I don't think it had anything to do with them so much as it had to do with a few select people who were watching. And the Lord was showing them something. And the result of this, the result of the miracle was the disciples believed in Him. 
the disciples believed. All right, let's go down to verse 23 in the same chapter. While he, so they left from there. They went to Jerusalem to the Passover festival. It says, during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs. Say, saw the signs. Saw the signs. So those are miracles, right? When they saw the signs that he was doing, many believed. What was the result of the miracles? Many believed. Now, there was people who saw the miracles that didn't believe too. There's that group of people, right? Well, we don't want to be in that group. We want to be in the believing group. And so he did his first sign in Cana, and then, or the first, the first sign that he did in Cana. And then here, there's many more signs that he, he, he's done, and now people are believing. That's the result of it. Look in chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. This is huge. He is saying, we, the Pharisees, we know that you're from God. Why does he say this? For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. God was with him. And he's doing all these signs. And so these signs are bearing testimony. They're bearing witness to who he is. And even the Pharisees recognized it. And it must have been a bunch of them because it, he, they're plural. They saw these signs. Look over in chapter 4. Let's go all the way down to verse 46. So in chapter 4, 46, he went again to Cana, you know, Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. So that was where he'd done his first sign in Cana. Now he's going to do the second sign in Cana. Not the second miracle that he's ever done, but the second one in Cana. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, what does him hearing that Jesus comes... Why is that important? Because someone was telling about the miracle working power of God. And he heard it, and because he heard it, it caused him to take action. Faith came up in him that the Lord could be my answer too. Now if everyone kept mom and didn't share the testimonies about what Jesus was doing, he never would have heard it. And his son would have died. But as it was, he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee. He went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. So he believed the words that Jesus said to him, that he will live. And so he goes home. While he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Well, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed. Now he's not just believing the words of Jesus, but believing on Jesus. He himself believed along with his whole household. What's the result of the miracle? People coming to salvation. People believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 54, this was also the second sign Jesus performed after He came from Judea to Galilee. This is the second sign in Cana. Not the second miracle, right? Because we just read about a whole bunch of signs that He had been performing in other places. But a key verse is look at verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There was a purpose for these miracles and that was to witness 
to be a witness of the power of God. And so that they would believe. Alright, that was chapter 4. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and how that John the Baptist had witnessed about Jesus. And he makes this statement. He says, I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works. That's miracles. The miracles that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works, these miracles I am doing, testify about me that the Father has sent me. That's what the miracles in your life are to do. Testify about Jesus. Testify about the Son of God. Every miracle that you experience in your life, do not be a hoarder. You share the good news of what Jesus has done for you. That was chapter 5. Let's jump. We're going to pass a whole bunch of them. We'll go to chapter 10. John chapter 10. Now this is that famous chapter um, where he talks about you know, the Lord is a good shepherd. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. My sheep know my voice. All of that. Look down in verse 24. <clears throat> so, the Jews surrounding, surrounded him asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you and you don't believe. Jesus answered them. The works, these are the miracles that he does, The miracles that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Who knows what eternal life is? It's not just living forever. That's a part of it. But knowing God. Jesus said in John 17.3 that eternal life is Knowing the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's, that's how Jesus describes eternal life. So it's relationship. It's knowing. Relationship with the Father. Just living forever is a side benefit. I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone Him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works, many good miracles from the Father. For which of these miracles are you stoning me? I think Jesus used sarcastic humor. This this seems pretty like some sarcastic humor to me. Which of these miracles are you guys going to stone me for? We aren't stoning you for a good work, for a miracle, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, isn't it written in your law? And he quotes the Psalms. He says, I said you are gods. And then he says, if he called those to whom the word of God came gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, His miracles, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. See, the miracles are testimony of who He is. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So we see verse 25. I'll just read the key verses again from this passage that are talking about the purpose of the miracles. I I did tell you and you don't believe me, Jesus answered. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. The miracles testify about me. He says it again in verse 37 and 38 that His miracles testify. Believe the miracles then. The works. 
that my Father has done. Look over in chapter 11. Now, this is the story of Lazarus and how he died and, and was resurrected. And if you look down in... Um, so, so there, in the previous chapter, it explains where they'd gone, but they'd gone over to this place across the Jordan where John the Baptist used to baptize people. So that's the spot they're at. And while they're there, word comes to them that Lazarus is sick and near death. And this was, um, apparently, if you go back and you look at the days involved and how many days Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus got there, apparently Lazarus must have died as the messengers left to go tell Jesus. I think Lazarus was probably dead by the time the messengers ever got to Jesus. So, look in verse 4. When Jesus heard it, they'd come and said he's sick. When Jesus heard it, he said... This sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. Now, a lot of new translations have is in there, but is for the glory of God. Is is not there in the original. It's just not there. What he's saying is this sickness is not going to... The end of the story, the end of this story isn't going to be death. It's going to be God glorified. That's going to be the end of this story. God glorified. So he's saying... Sickness will not, this sickness will not end in death. Well, we know that he died, but see, that wasn't the end, was it? He went on and lived when he was resurrected. It's not going to end in death, but for the glory of God. That's how this is going to end. For the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then if you look on down, we'll just not read the whole story. Look down to verse 39. This is now where they are at the tomb. And um, Jesus is standing in front of the tomb and He says, remove the stone. And Martha, the dead man's sister, told Him, Lord, there's already a stench because He's been dead four days. Nobody here is believing for this guy to be raised from the dead. I mean, of His family members. It's not like they were back at the house praying, saying, Lord, uh, we're believing for You to resurrect Him. Because if they'd have been believing that, they'd still have Him at the house propped up on the couch. Right? Believe in God. But they're not. They buried Him. They think we're not going to see him again until many years from now. Well, Jesus, see this is one of those times where a miracle took place and it wasn't because of their faith, it was because of someone else's faith, Jesus' faith in this, in, in this case. And what does, what, what does he say? He says, remove the stone. And then she's like, no, 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 don't do that, he's going to stink. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. That's what this miracle is supposed to do. Glorify God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised His eyes and said, and He looks up to heaven, He says, Father, I thank You that You heard me. I know that You always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this, so that they may believe You sent me. So that they may believe. Not that Lazarus may believe. That they may believe. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw, everyone say saw, they saw what he did, believed in him. The result of the miracle is they believed in him. But then... There was another group of people that saw it and said, let's kill him for it. And let's kill the people he resurrected too. That'll show them. Again, again, the condition of your heart is pretty important, isn't it? 
So that was just a few samples from John. Let's go look at, okay, so that was Jesus. Let's look at the early church. Was the early church different or did these same types of things happen in the book of Acts? In chapter, we'll just go straight to chapter 5. And the church has experienced tremendous growth already. This is now uh, between one and five years after Pentecost. So the church has already begun. Look down into, um, let's see, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. So what we see is these signs and wonders, they were obviously having a result. And people, multitudes are coming to the Lord and joining the kingdom of God. Verse 15, as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Apparently, people were getting healed from shadows. Now, the interesting thing is we don't have any record of Jesus' shadow healing anyone. His garment, right? His words. He sent His word to other locations. But we don't have any record that his shadow did, but apparently Peter's shadows, people are are being healed just by proximity of being close to it. In verse 16, in addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Go over to chapter 9 in the book of Acts. Look over at verse 32. Peter, now, now, now we are between two to six years after the day of Pentecost. And in verse 32, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who live in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. Verse 35, check it out. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Turned to the Lord. Because of this miracle. This miracle bears witness to who Jesus is. Verse 37. Or 36, sorry. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She is always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. You mean to tell me someone who is, is a disciple, someone who follows Jesus, someone who does, is always doing good works and always doing acts of love might get sick? You mean to tell me someone that walks this perfectly and holy might actually get sick and die? I mean, how many times do you look at yourself and you go, well, yeah, I I deserved that. Yeah, well, I this. Yeah, well, I that. Get your eyes off of you and put them on the Master because He, right, is the one where your holiness is from. Even with all her good works and all her holiness and all this stuff, she still got attacked by the enemy and she still had the results of a fallen world come against her and prevailed for a little bit, right? Because she's dead. She's gone. What happens? Well, they wash her and they place her in a room upstairs. Now notice the difference between Lazarus' people and this lady's people. (laughs) You want this lady's people around you, not Lazarus' people. 
So since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Now, these people are in faith. They're expecting a miracle. They think that this woman's going to be raised from the dead, that if Peter will come, something will change. This situation will change. So Peter got up, went with them. When he arrived, they led him into the room upstairs and all the widows approached him weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. You know, sometimes, sometimes you just got to put people out of the room. Now, it doesn't say why he did it. It doesn't say that because they were full of doubt or anything like that. Um, but clearly, with them weeping and mourning, they're, they're thinking this is it for her, uh, those people. But there were people that were in faith because they went and got Peter and said, Peter, some, you know, come. And so he puts them out of the room. I remember once I went to the hospital to pray for someone that was, was really bad off. And um, I went into the room and the family, you know, they're strong believers. And, but I asked them to leave the room while I prayed for this person who's in a coma. And, um, <laughs> and so she later died. So, you know, my, I didn't do the same thing Peter did here. But I asked them to go out so I could pray for this, for this person. And so afterwards, when I was done, they asked me, they said, well, why, Pastor, why did you tell us to leave? What, did you perceive that we had doubt? You know, could you, are we in doubt or something? I'm like, no, no, no. This had nothing to do with you. This had everything to do with me. Because I wanted to be alone. And I didn't want to, you know, have someone watching me, what I do. I wanted to be me and God. And so sometimes you put people out of the room for your sake, not because there's a problem with them, right? Where were we? So Peter puts them out of the room and he turns toward, no, no, not yet. Um, Peter sent them out of the room. He knelt down and prayed. He knelt down and prayed. This is an important part of this story because he didn't just instantly command her to get up. It doesn't say how long he prayed. It may have been a long prayer. It may have been a short prayer. It doesn't tell us. But I believe there was a conversation with the Lord going on. And he's getting a word from the Lord. Lord, what do I do? What do you want me to do? How many know there's dead people that have been commanded to wake up that never woke up? And then there's dead people that have been commanded to wake up and they did wake up. The rhema word of God, I cannot make this strong enough, the rhema word of God, if you want to experience miracles, is an absolute must. You can't have it without it. What is the rhema? It's, Lord, what do I do? We have the promises of God, the logos, but when the logos comes into your heart and God brings it alive on the inside of you, that becomes the rhema. Now, when you ask the Lord, what shall I do? He may quicken a verse to you on the inside. Bring up a verse. Remind you of a verse. This is the verse. Lay hold of this verse. Believe. Okay. Is there another part that I should do? Sometimes it's silly things. You know, I, I had a headache. And uh, I was dealing with headaches, and every, every you know, two weeks or so, I would get this really bad headache for a day or two, and I'd speak to it, I'd command it to leave, and the only thing that was working was like Tylenol. And so I'd take Tylenol and go to sleep, and the next morning the headache's gone, and you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, the headache's back. And this particular time, it wouldn't leave. No, Tylenol wasn't helping, my words didn't seem to be helping, and you know, I'm believing on standing on the Word of God, I don't know what more to do. And, and I, was, I was kind of in desperation. I was taking a shower and I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what do I do about this headache? And just clear, crystal clear on the inside, I heard him say, get an inversion table. An inversion table? 
I forgot those things existed, right? <laughs> I mean, my grandparents used to have one, and we'd play on it as kids. But an inversion, okay, fine, I'll get an inversion table. Man, I got done with the shower, dried off, went over, got my phone, ordered one instantly, right there. Got that inversion table and started hanging upside down like a possum. No more headaches. Gone. Didn't deal with headaches anymore. And what's interesting is the only times I've gotten a headache, I've gotten a headache since that time, that was, I think, last summer, maybe last spring. I've got, since that time, I've gotten a headache twice. And both times, I'd stop using it for a couple of weeks. And then the headache would come back. Oh, start using that thing again. You know, just hang on it for a minute or two a day. And don't ever deal with headaches. See, the Lord knows what your body needs. Right? And He knows. And sometimes, that's what a rhema is. Okay? You can't find buy an inversion table in this book. Alright? But that was still a rhema to me. The Lord told me what to do. And if I will do that, I walk in health in that area in my life. And so Peter kneels down and he's praying. And I'm pretty sure I know what he's saying. Lord, help. What do I do? And the Lord shows him what to do because we see what he does next. He turns and he says to her, he says, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand, helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. And this became known throughout all of Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. See that? There it is again. This miracle, people told it and many believed. Let's look in chapter 13. When they had traveled through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, see, Bar, this Bar-Jesus fella, Elimus, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is key, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus. This is similar to Jesus staring straight at the disciples and telling them, with God, all things are possible. Right? He stares right at him and says, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then, when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, here's a different kind of miracle. Who's believing for this type of miracle working power? Maybe we'd have a different country if we walked in this a little bit more. I don't know. You've got to watch yourself, though, because like Jesus said to those sons of thunder, you don't know which spirit you're of. Because they were wanting to take vengeance on someone and it wasn't about what Paul did here. But the key po point in, in this right here is two things. One, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and it was the Lord prompting him to do this. That's rhema. Okay? He's just going with the rhema of God in the moment. And what, what's the result? Someone believes because of it. Alright, look over into chapter 28. Chapter 28 is that... Um, 
Well, in chapter 27 is where the shipwreck happened with Paul. Remember the ship, the ship he's on, they're sailing, they're taking him as a prisoner to Rome. And um, how many of you knew that this whole time, this whole ride on the ship, swimming in the water, then on the island, that Luke, Dr. Luke is with him? He's right there beside him the whole time. I mean, Luke is the one who wrote this account. And in chapter 27, he says, we left and we went here. And then he gives this whole detailed account. Verse In chapter 28, again, he's like, we, we, us, we, we, us. Look in verse 1. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. Now Luke isn't a prisoner. Paul was the prisoner. But he is accompanying Paul. How many know Luke's a doctor? Now, the miracles that we're going to read about here in just a moment had nothing to do with the doctor that was along. (laughs) He didn't have a part in it. It was someone else. As Paul gathered, verse 3, a bundle of brush wood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, Justice has not allowed him to live. And people still say things like that. You know, karma will get you. Things like that. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping, right? I don't believe in karma. However, there is also miracle protection power available for you. Right? Snake bites him. No problem. What does he do? He shakes the snake off into the fire, suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. And after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. That one didn't have the desired effect, did it? (laughs) Oh, he's a god. Well, let's see what happens next. It sure got their attention though, didn't it? They they, They have their attention. Now, in the area... And also notice that this snake not harming Paul, you know, this was for Paul's... They got to witness Paul having a miracle in his life for Paul's benefit so that he could live, so that he could go and stand before kings in Rome. Alright, so now in the area around that place, there was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying, laying his hands on him, he healed him. He prayed, I believe, got direction from the Lord, laid his hands on him, and he, it says, he, Paul, healed him. This is the working of miracles. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Now, why did they come and were healed? Because they heard about what had happened. Someone's sharing the testimony. So they come. The rest of the people on the island come. And and the result of this is that they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. It says after three months, in verse 11, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship. Well, they were there for three months. And what do you think they were doing for three months while they had a captive audience? They were building the kingdom of God. Right? And and, uh, history, other historical writers say that there was churches, many churches that came out of those actions. All right, I'm going to go to two more references and we'll close. Let's go to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John. Remember, we're talking, what we're looking for, we're playing detective and we're saying, what's the result of the miracles? 
What would so often happen when, when a miracle would happen? Well, it would lead people into salvation. It would lead people to the Father. It would testify to who Jesus is. Testify to who Jesus is. Well, here in John chapter 14, in verse 11, Philip had, had made a comment to the Lord. He said, you know, um, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, what do you mean? You, you've been seeing me. And uh, what do you mean, show us the Father? In verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. There it is again. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Testifying to who Jesus is. On the heels of this powerful statement, that the believe because of the miracles themselves, He makes these next statements. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And He will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Peter, years later, is going, yeah, the shadow. Healing people. Greater works, right? He says in verse 13, whatever you ask in My name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. And if you look up that word ask, it it can mean several different things, but it is used in the sense of require. If you require something in My name, require something in My name, I will do it. He's going to do even greater works than these if you believe. And let's close in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 and verse 14. You, look at your neighbor and say you. You. Look down at your belly button and say I. I. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your Good works. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There's the purpose. Give glory. So that when you lay hands on the sick and they recover, glory is given to the Father. When you pray for someone and that prayer is answered, glory is given to the Father. Or if it's in your life. But your works. You will do even greater things than these. In the same way, let your light shine. How do we let our light shine? Give the Lord opportunity to do good works through you. The miracle working power of God. On display, testifying to who Jesus is. Testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. And the result will be, give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You that You would take these Scriptures that we read tonight, the words, the promises that we've read, Father, and cause them to awaken within us as Rhema. That we, we would have an increase of understanding. That we would go forward from here looking for places to show Your good works so that You would be glorified. Lord, remind us of the good works that You've done in our life so that we can testify about them. So that we can tell of it. And Lord, if 
The ones that we've forgotten, we repent of that. We don't want to forget a single good thing that you've done for us. And we ask you, remind us again of them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Well, stand with me. Do you have a song oh, for yeah. us? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let, let's sing and then we'll close in a bit. Yeah, I was thinking about Sid's testimony of the headaches or whatever. God wanted to turn his life upside down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I was thinking another thing. Is when we had those testimonies, you know that scripture that says, Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. That's what we're doing. As we magnify him and what he's done in each individual's life, we're exalting the Lord together. Amen? Amen. He's good. Yeah. Right? Man. He's good. You know what I'm going to do, don't you? <laughs> Taste and see. give testimony a little bit here of God's goodness to me on this trip that I just returned from last night. You know, um, the last time I, I'd gone to this country, I had, uh, when, when we arrived at the airport, Elizabeth and Janelle were with me, and the um, secret police were, were waiting there for us, and they came and singled me out from amongst the entire crowd standing at the baggage uh, claim area, and asked a bunch of questions, and so forth and so that um, you know I, it wasn't uncommon for the, for them to ask questions and things but to be singled out like that after about a you know I think the last time that stuff like that was happening was maybe in early 19 so the last number of trips prior to that they'd been left me alone well this time now it had started again and so I was concerned about that for this trip it just kept coming up for me that this was a potential danger, and so um, it, it came up enough for me, and I had enough unrest that I, I went and prayed, and I went to the Lord like, Lord, should I not go on this trip? And the Lord's like, go, don't be afraid, right? And so, all right. So on the way down to the airport, um, Pastor Jay and Levi and Eric, uh, we were all three together because uh, Levi and Jay flew on the same flight out with me. And then they went on to Romania and Ukraine. Well, we, we prayed together and I said, you know, let's just let's pray this, that um, we're, I'm going to be completely hidden. 
that I don't even get questioned and not even once. All right? And um, so we prayed. We agreed on that. We asked the Lord for that. Now, on this particular trip that I just took, uh, I ministered one weekend at one place, and then I rented a car, and I drove hundreds of miles. And they have lots of checkpoints that you have to go through. And so these checkpoints, each and every one of them, is a potential problem. And... (laughs) I went through all of these checkpoints and was not pulled aside for a question not one single time. Everywhere where there could have been questions asked, not once. The Lord had just like I was hidden. And so I want to thank Him for His goodness to me in that. Amen. Well, as you go, love on each other. Share God's goodness. Tell it. All right? Stir up people around you with the goodness of God in you. everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So thankful that you're all here tonight. It feels so good to be with family. I'd like to encourage you in the Word of God tonight. And in the book of Revelations, it starts in uh, chapter 5. These are just great scriptures. Now when he had taken the scroll, he's talking about the Lamb of God, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they all sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God. By your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. You are a king and a priest right now. And we shall reign on the earth. See, we're coming back for that a thousand years millennium and reigning alongside Jesus. What an incredible to, to think about that. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. That's a lot of angels. It's saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Glory to God. And every creature which is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are with them. I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne into the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. Amen. And the 24 elders fell down on their face and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Wow, that's just such a mouthful. But did you notice 
10,000 by 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels. Now, we already know that God encamps around those who are praising him, inhabits our praises. Well, so do the angels. So tonight, this room is filled with thousands of angels that are going to praise right along with you. So let's stand up together as family, and let's praise the King of Kings and our Father who sits upon the throne. Amen. Father, you are a good, good father. And Father, we thank you from our hearts for your loving kindness, your tender mercy, your favor, your protection, your provision. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you gave to each one of us and his faithfulness to you, his love for you, to obey you in all things, laying down his life shedding his precious blood on the cross that whosoever would believe on him and not would not perish but have everlasting life when jesus left this earth he sent the helper the holy spirit who is now living in us helping us directing our lives leading us into all salvation into the into the ways of you father so we want to thank you. We want to bless you. We will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Our mouths shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. We don't know their limits, Father. We will go in the strength of the Lord God and we will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. So, Father, have your way in each one of our hearts tonight as we surrender and submit to you. Thank you for this time together as family, as we love each other, we help each other, we encourage and edify and build each other up in the faith. Father, thank you for what you're going to do in our midst tonight. Jesus, you're the head of this church, so have your way. Can we all say amen in Jesus' name? Well, one way we love God is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor. Tell him how much you love him tonight. Give him a great big hug. And the children may be dismissed. Well, good evening again, everyone. We're glad to see you here tonight. The word says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So are you glad to be here tonight? Yes, glad somebody is. All right, well, we are going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So if you have or if you need a cash envelope for your giving, just raise your hand and our ushers will bring one to you. 
Tonight, we have Josh Schumann um, going to bring the tithe message to us. I just felt like maybe it wasn't me tonight, so we're going to let him share. So what the Lord laid on my heart is we know that the Lord wants us to be blessed, right? And, and we use Abraham as our example. Uh, he is, we are descendant of Abraham, and Abraham was incredibly blessed, right? I mean, he... He just, uh, he was, he was, his name was known in that time period as, as a wealthy man, as a great man. And, uh, I mean, he, do you remember when there was two sets of kings that were fighting each other and the victor decided, you know what, I'm going to take Lot and I'm going to take his family and, and I'm going to take him with me. And Abraham's like, wait a second, that's not okay. You can't do that. So what does he do? He gets his 318 trained servants and arms them to go after these kings. 318 trained servants to fight. Okay, that doesn't count women and children, right? Back then, only the men fought. We have some pretty feisty ladies here, so we're a little bit better off. Back then, only the men fought, right? So how many women and children were there? There were lots. I would imagine there was more than 318. And so he needed all these servants, right? Because he had gold and silver to guard. He had flocks. He had herds, herds of cattle. I mean, the man was extremely wealthy, right? So living in Abraham's household would have been pretty good, right? Well, God wants no different for us, right? I mean, I, 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 have, I have three trained fighters in my, in my home, but they're not servants, they're sons. <laughs> but, so, you know, someone we don't hear a whole lot about is Isaac. But Isaac was a pretty incredible man. There, there's very little about him, but, but let's look at what he does have. Uh, he's the oldest son. Well, I mean, if you don't count Ishmael. Uh, but Ishmael doesn't count because he's not a son of promise. He's a son of what? Flesh. Flesh. That's right. So he doesn't count. Uh, so Isaac is the oldest son. And so what does that mean in that time period? Inheritance. He gets it all. And he's the only son up until that point of the, of the wife of Sarah. Sarah. So he gets it all. So Isaac starts out his life incredibly wealthy because of who his father was. Well, who's our father? He's a little bit more wealthy than Abraham, right? Okay, so back to Isaac. Isaac starts out incredibly wealthy. And um, there's a famine in Egypt for a second time. Uh, Genesis 26.1. There's a famine, not the famine uh, with Abraham, but another famine for Isaac. And the Lord appears to Isaac and says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't take what looks like the right road. It's okay that there's a famine here because I'm your supply. And, and so Isaac stays, and he sows during a famine. Okay, a famine means there's no food, food won't grow. But he puts seed in the ground. He chose to sow even though it didn't make sense to sow because he's obeying the Lord. And a lot of times the Lord will ask us to do something that doesn't look like it makes sense. And that's where Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 come in, right? 
Trust not in your own understanding. I remember when I, when I uh, graduated from Bible school, the Lord told, told me to take a job that paid $9 an hour. And I had a family of five that I was supporting. $9 an hour doesn't make sense with a family of five. But I knew it was the Lord, so I obeyed. And I'd go work a full-time job, and then I'd come home and work for my landlord. For three months I did that to make, to make the rent. For three months. And then the Lord prospered me. And within just a few years, I was making four times what I made over the summer. And that's God prospering us because of obedience. Sowing when it doesn't make sense, but also obeying. And I want to show you something that I think, I think gets missed a lot with Isaac. Now, Abraham sent his servant back to uh, the land where they came from to look for a wife for Isaac, right? To look for Rebecca. And the servant goes, and he finds Rebecca, and he's bringing him back, bringing her back. <laughs> and uh, if you look in Genesis 24, verse 63, it says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. Now, I, I'm pretty sure this was a consistent thing for Isaac. It doesn't say that it was, but what are the chances that he's like, you know what, tonight, for once, I'm going to go out in the field and meditate, and that's the night that Rebecca shows up? Uh, there's no coincidences in my book. I believe Isaac did this on a consistent basis. And that's what gave him the ability to hear from the Lord and be willing to sow when it didn't make sense. And so not only do we need to sow into what God wants us to sow into, we also need to obey. Uh, the term meditate, the uh, Hebrew word can also be translated commune or speak. And so I think he went out there to spend time with the Lord, his, his quiet time with the Lord, and then he was able to obey in what God wanted him to sow into. And so seek the Lord on what he wants you to sow into, and you will prosper, just like Isaac did. Because it also says after that that... Uh, Isaac was blessed even more so. So, and it's not like God was like, well, he got all of Abraham's stuff. He's in good shape. He doesn't need more, right? Well, he didn't need more, but God wanted him to have more. 26 verse 13, the man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. So God only continued to shower him with blessing even though he was very blessed at the time. So don't stop with your sowing. Don't stop being in faith. Keep sowing and keep believing for more. Keep dreaming for more. Because if you're not dreaming for more, then do you believe God will bring you more? All right, should I pray over the offering now? All right. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You are so good and so faithful and, and just so generous. We are grateful for the provision that you give us, and we are uh, excited for more, Father, that we can put into your kingdom, that we can be obedient to you. Bless the, the finances that were given. Bless those who gave, that, that they will become very prosperous and be able to sow even more for you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Ushers, you can pass the baskets. Thank you, Josh, for that. Isaac went out to meditate. I liked that. You know, that's the key. You draw near to the Lord, and then what does he do? He responds to us. He draws near to us. 
And that's where you find answers, the things that you need answers to in your life. Well, as you've probably noticed, we don't have bulletins tonight, so we apologize for that. We're very sorry. Um, so I'll read from this paper here the things that we want to announce. So home groups this week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. However, Thursday morning's home group, Karen's home group, that meets Thursday mornings, uh, they're going to be meeting with Ron Kahn. Anyone's welcome, is the way I understand. Uh, Ron Kahn's going to be here this week, Friday, or Thursday and Friday, like I said, 10 to 2. Sorry, 10 to 12. He's, he's, he's long-winded, but not that long-winded. <laughs> Everyone's welcome. All right, we have two sign-up sheets in the back. We've mentioned this before, but I do want to stress that it's really important that you sign up for our Resurrection Weekend meal that we're having uh, before the service on April 16th. If you plan to be there for that meal, uh, we do need you to sign up so we know how many to plan for and prepare food for. And also, if you're coming, there is you can say which of the dishes you want to bring. That's all on the paper back there. Um, also, uh, the Ghana fundraiser, that sign-up sheet is also in the back. Troy and Rebecca would love to see you sign up, so they can also be prepared for those that are coming. Mike Miller, as many of you have probably begun to hear that name, Mike Miller is running for PA Senate. Uh, he is just an individual, a business owner like you and I, that has seen the way, you know, this our country is headed and going. We, uh, our eyes have been opened when 2020 hit, and he's just an individual like you and I that said, I want to bring change. I want to do something about this. So he is running for the PA Senate to replace Ryan Almond. Um, if you would like to be um, have him be where he is introducing himself, he's coming here to the church to introduce himself, if I can get my tongue to cooperate. Um, it's going to be here at the church Wednesday night, April 20th, 7 p.m., so you can come out, hear a little bit about him and his vision. One more thing. Um, Stephen Mirabella sent out an email, a link, letting us know about a special 30 days of prayer initiative for the Muslim world. And in that email, he has a link that Debbie can get for you. And the link is 30 days of prayers ways you can pray specifically for the Muslims. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, Debbie can get you the link and she'll send that to you and that will be, all the information will be in that email.